Welcome to Team Performance Coaching, where we grow and build and develop great leaders. My name is David Hopper, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Harold Tabor. Now, I'm going to let him tell you his background. It goes all the way back to Coca-Cola, Monster, Biola University, uh, a man of many talents, just an incredible guru when it comes to the business field and developing people. So we're going to talk about leadership development, servant leadership, flipping the org chart, innovation, creativity. We're going to hit it all. And I'm so excited that he's here today. Can we start with all the way back to Coca-Cola, Hanson's, just walk us through that story and how you continued up this ladder all the way to Monster and retiring, but continuing to move forward. Let's just start with a little bit of that story. Well, David, thank you for the opportunity to share. Um, I actually grew up in an entrepreneur family. Uh, my grandfather started Coca-Cola in Kern County in 1920. And as uh, my dad took it over, and then I was born into the family and born into that uh, uh, kind of uh, environment, uh, I ended up in a little entrepreneur Coca-Cola business in Kern County. Uh, ultimately, uh, we sold our business to Los Angeles Coca-Cola. I came down to Los Angeles and, and uh, took over certain positions, marketing and, and, and sales, and ended up being the group president of Coca-Cola LA. At a very exciting time, it was through the 1984 Olympics. Okay. And I was able to serve on the Olympic Committee representing Coke, and, and I learned a lot about leadership and getting things done. And and uh, and then through that process, uh, Coca-Cola LA sold the business to Atlanta, and uh, I left at that time and uh, got a couple of investors, and we bought out a small natural drink company called Hanson's. Hanson's. What year is this? This was 1989-90. you take this small little thing called Hanson's that we all know now, but we didn't know it then. Well, it, it was in, in um, I should say, it was known, but it was just in Hell Food stores and a few places. Mm. And uh, when we uh, when we took it over, we scraped up some money to, to get it going, to get it invested. We had, I think, seven employees, um, but it was a tight squeeze. We had some debt we, we occurred, and uh, we worked ourselves through it. You took a risk. But it was very interesting how the Lord works in business. We had to deal with the stores, the retail stores. We didn't have trucks. We had to get them the product differently. And I get a call one day from a fellow that says to me, could you have lunch with me? I need your product. And believe me, David, in all my years, nobody has ever said to me, I need your product. We normally had to sell right. the need to them. Yeah. And I went to meet this fellow, uh, Joe, and he had a little sailor hat on and we had a great visit. Well, it happened to be, his name is Joe, who had Trader Joe's. So he had 12 stores and he only wanted to sell natural beverages and we were the only one he was going to sell and I told him I didn't have much money and he probably would, the orders would be larger than I could handle and he said don't worry about it, uh, I'll pay you every Friday and then that'll help your cash flow. So we had a great relationship and that started, uh, started us on the upper track. 
and uh, through that process we were growing significantly that we needed an infusion of money into the company and we brought in uh, two more significant investors that had a uh, shell on the stock market and NASDAQ. We rolled Hansons into that shell and, and in 1994, I believe, my date may be off, uh, we actually were a public, then we turned into a public company on the NASDAQ. Wow. At 65 cents a share. And um, so anyway, we started to grow the business. California, Southern California was two thirds of our business. And uh, so the Hanson's business just started to mushroom, especially on, on the West Coast and, and places like that. So uh, the two partners I had that came in, they said, we, how are we going to grow this better? He, he, they said, you know, we saw that the energy market may be sprouting out. And like energy drinks. Energy drinks. Yeah. Energy drinks. And uh, now this is with... When you're still with Hanson, but you started looking at this next Look, How do we grow this, this business? Yeah. We, we, we grew the company, I would say, three or four fold each year for the first couple of years of the company. But how do we make it a larger opportunity nationwide? Yeah. And that was basically going to be through expanding product line. Mm -hmm. Well, the issue we had was that we were an all-natural company. Uh, energy is not an all-natural product. Right. So we decided to split the company in two. Okay. And we started with an energy, and then we started pursuing energy drinks because a competitor from Australia was coming in. And we analyzed the market, went to a lot of focus groups, came out, and we developed the Monster product. Mm. And why the Monster product? Well, an old backroom tale says that uh, our product was... Uh, energy product was being sold in a small can, an eight ounce, seven ounce can. So we went to a 16 ounce can, which was a monster to the little one. Okay. And that's how we sort of rolled into that name. Yeah. And uh, we, we've done a lot of innovative things on packaging. We have cans that you can actually feel the contour on the outside. The design is built into the can on the outside. And so through that, being a public company, then people started buying the stock and moving the company up. Uh, and, and over a period of time, uh, it's been phenomenal. It is a superbly run company from the standpoint of the chairman of the board and the, and the president are just running that company. Now, at one point, were you the president? Yeah, yes, and then I stepped down to a, a health issue, and then I came back. I've been on the board 27 years, and I just stepped down uh, June of 2019. Oh, okay. And so... Uh, I, uh, I I reached a milestone age, and I assume done very well. Oh, oh yes, yes, we. Uh, that whole company has done very the well. Whole the company was named a couple years ago the greatest and fastest growing uh, stock for the last ten years. So let's jump into that. What are some of the the key secrets, if you will? And they're probably not secret, but those key things that made you different. Well, I think the size of packaging, number one, and in fact, we forced all of our competitors to meet us in that, but that, that was one of them. The second one is you've got to have a, a, a product that jumps off the shelf, and if you look at the monster shelf, that green can just jumps off. Yeah. Now, surprisingly, there's 28 more monster products on the shelf. Right. 
because we went out and found out why didn't somebody drink Monster? And we found out that they wanted something that was sugar-free or low-cal or, or a, a different combination. So you kept innovating. We kept innovating. We never let a year go by that we didn't bring out one or two new products. Interesting. And then we finally went to a 7-Eleven one day and we saw people coming out of there at 6 o'clock in the morning that were actually uh, 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 contractors and, and, and people building buildings. They were carrying a couple of cups of coffee, but they had with them a little sack of Monster. So we interviewed them and we found out that they really love coffee, so we came out with a coffee monster, Java Monster, and it just skyrocketed in the certain places. So you continue to ask customers what they wanted, even though they're buying your product. You're saying, I want to continue to grow and innovate and connect with the customer. Now, I think there's a trend of companies saying we need to be all about one thing, and they're like singular focused, um, would you say that that would be a mistake or just different? Well, it just depends on what the product is. We're singular, but we have a multitude within our singular line. Right, okay. We're not in potato chips. Okay. Like some of the competitors have Fritos and this right. and that. But they're large and they can handle it. We just, we just were, we're growing so fast, it's hard for us to take on something we don't know. And, and our executives of the company which are very well schooled. We all knew the beverage business. Yeah. And we knew how to get it there. See, the real key to making a company that has a package successful is productivity. And you gotta have truck productivity. Remember, any driver in the truck is not doing anything for you when he's driving. Only when he's selling, only when he's in the store. Yeah. So you have to have you have to map out the shortest routes for him to drop off the product so he is in the truck the least time. So we look at productivity. We look how many cans can we get on a truck because that's increase in productivity. What are the kind of, kind of things that'll help move that product off the truck into the account faster? Okay. And so the whole basis of that is we have departments of engineering and all that just working all the time to improve productivity uh, for like the that. company. That, so innovation was one key. The second key would be productivity in that you kept looking into what you're doing, every aspect from the truck driver to even getting it off the truck into the store, how they're selling, just continuing to develop that process of productivity. Correct. Yeah, that's great. Who, how, was the leadership structure one that allowed this kind of freedom to think through all of these things? Uh, maybe let's talk about this. When we talk about flipping the org chart, giving power to the, the lowest cog in the machine, to say it in a very crude way, but how did you continue to flip the org chart? Well, I, I uh, you're talking about flipping an org chart, so it may be well to explain what we're talking about. Most traditional organizational charts are from the top-down pyramid meaning the point of the pyramid is at the top, it goes down and it's flat on the bottom. Yeah, and it's and, hard to get things done. And so it's we've got go the up. chairman of the board and yeah. you've got people up above making critical decisions for the company. Right. And what happens in that is that the chairman of the board, the board of directors and the CEO of the company have really responsible things to do certain. They have to have a vision for the company. 
are we going to only be in California or do we want to be on West Coast only? There's a vision there that has to come out. Based on that, you set objectives. The way we would run the companies, objectives never had numbers to them. Our objectives were to go nationwide. That's an objective. Yeah. Then the numbers follow. What does it cost? How do you do it? How do you, you know? When you talk about innovation and productivity, there's two things I really want you to pull out of this that I found fascinating in our previous conversations. How you flip the org chart, the lowest person on the team having as much effectiveness, um, power, I guess, if you will, as the highest and how that works and does it really work, but also servant leadership. And this is a very Christian term that is also used in a business world like Monster, which is surprising. So servant leadership, what does that look like in a secular business world? On the org chart, first of all, on the org chart, the upper echelon in a company, and we had talked about it, not only sets the vision, and they set the, uh, mission, uh, the mission statement of a, of a company, which is really critical. Yeah. Why it's really critical, you can tell about the company just reading the mission statement. Absolutely. If they say the number one thing is uh, serving the return to stockholders, be careful because everything is going to be based around money. Yep. We come from a standpoint that the company's greatest asset are people. And our job is to develop people. Not get the job done through people, but to develop people through their work. And to do that, we take from the top, it comes down into our uh, vice president level. What will come down is our mission statement, our objectives, our, our uh, systematic way that we think we can make those objectives into goals. And we use the smart goal system. Yeah. And, and we, we create every aspect from the echelon and then we pass it down to the vice president level and to the director level and manager level to say here it is you set the strategies the tactics to get it done how we're going to do it what manpower we need what marketing funds we need so we bring finance into it and so the upper echelon only sets what the parameters will be okay and it's normally a one to three year workout right but everybody below then is, is taking this. And you're empowering them. Empowering them. Yeah. Now, this the financial person will go to his department and he will flip the org chart up where uh, he knows he's serving right. and, and he's down at the bottom of it. And you set parameters, but he goes. But here's the key on the top of the org chart. Most Christian organizations say, well, we'll put God at the, org, at the top. Well, in the secular field, it's hard for us to do that. Well, we know that. But the first, if you flip the chart up where the point is at the bottom and the flat part is at the top, the top is the customer or consumer. Right. That's all we serve and it's all we talk about in meetings. How do we serve the customer with better products, better sizes, better efficiencies? And so when you look at our chart upside down, you see customer or consumer. Now, right below that are the people who touch them, which would be sales. Right. The sales people directly touch the consumer. So everybody in the company is serving the sales department. 
now that gets a few people's nose out of joint because they think they're bigger than the system yeah but we straighten that out so, so you do have to straighten that out about how often do you think that happens well we're you know we, we had one department that refused to even integrate this for about 18 months okay so I so yeah, okay. we'd, we'd have little conversations right. and all of a sudden my conversation was a little more powerful than their conversation so everybody understood with even a council receivable department did they had 10 people in there and they flipped their little uh, organization chart upside down would you say that's what that was why monster moved so fast no no okay i that the or, the policy and procedures doesn't move didn't move monster it was our dedication and our listening ability to the employees mm. we didn't shut them out we didn't we didn't play i know it all through a process and we went we, I really believed in MBMA management by walking around in your office you do no good yeah and so to talk to the lower echelon and in fact I talked to an over echelon person one day and he told me he's been there on that forklift forever but he said you know I got a drawing here maybe you'd like to use it what is it? He says a drawing for a double forklift. So I took the engine engineering department. This is a coke engineering department. It's pretty big. You know what they said? Never worked. A double forklift will never work. Well, I said if I finance it, will it work? Oh yeah. Now maybe we'll work on it. <laughs> in six months we had a prototype. In one year we had about four of those out there. So one forklift driver could carry two pallets instead of one. And our warehouses were a hundred yards long. So we worked on those listening to our people mm. down below. That's what drives it. it. It wasn't whether it was flipped or not. It was just a sensibility. Yeah. Then we had a deal that we would say to the marketing guy, you tell us what funds you need and we'll get it funded. We're not gonna argue uh, about whether you deserve it or not deserve it. It'll pay out in the run at yeah. the end. So to answer your question, it's people are the greatest asset and you gotta utilize them. So that leads into servant leadership. And then that, that leads into servant leadership because the person that knows the most about the job, guess what, is the one closest to the job. Yeah. I didn't know anything about forklifts, but he sure did. So the, the servant leadership basically, and that term, uh, we didn't quite use that term in, in the marketplace because of secular, you know, I was in secular companies. I was not in any Christian companies except when I went to Biola. And, uh, so the real issue you do not want to have people say well what do you mean by that and so we tried to use the servant part that our job is to serve up to make sure we handle the customer and the consumer properly mm. and if the consumer had a real problem about one of our ads we listened and we didn't have any problems ads because they were pretty well straightforward the other thing is how did we serve the individual uh, the individual breakouts of our customer base and our consumer base our consumer base was probably late teens to late 20s yeah I think you're advertising skateboarding snowboarding all the all, fringe so what we decided to do is run no TV and no radio okay 
We've never run TV or radio. Social media. We just went and, and, and sponsored athletes. Oh, okay, that's like right. A, like the yeah. monster, we had Schumacher was a big racer over in, in Europe. Uh -huh. So we went to Europe, we, we, we got him. A lot, of, a lot of athletes here. We have the top snowboarder girl in the world. Mm -hmm. She's 14 or 15. And we and we have uh, every single, I guess you call it extreme game. Yeah. Is is monster driven. Yeah. And if you watch the extreme games last week, the, the snow deal. Uh -huh. I mean, there were more helmets. We believe in that part because they impact our customer. So the servant leadership role is is understanding your customer and serving them directly, going right to the target. The issue is serving the need of the customer and serving the need of the employee. Those yeah. are the two, the, the two things we always grind on. So let's shift. You go to Biola. Biola is a Christian school. Is there a change, or how does that work in the Christian environment? Well, it changes because you can use uh, examples from the Bible. Yeah. And we all know that if. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. Uh, we, we go through the, the process of servant leadership is from the same thing I just said. The, the same thing is that organizational chart. Yeah. But as Jesus says, you know, you, you, you serve the others. But the, I want to, I want to push into your, like, as you leave Monster, you don't stop. You're now on a board that is investing into the next generation. And you're investing, um, I believe you even have another organization that invests into nonprofits and those that are trying to do great things. So talk me through how, you know, I don't know how old you are, but even in, in retirement age, still being a servant leader in everything that you do. Well, I guess it's so emboldened in me that I've been doing it for so long, uh, even my, uh, my, my children who are grown and have families, we talk servant leadership all the time. <clears throat> and, uh, and so by using that, I'm just trying to say, it's not about you. I use Ken Blanchard a lot. Ken Blanchard is really the author of this. But one of his deals on ego, he said, you can never be a leader or a manager if you don't get rid of your ego. And ego to him is edging God out. EGO. It's a great term I've used all the time because people when they start getting up in status in a company all of a sudden their ego takes over. Yeah. So we talk about that from an organizational standpoint and it's really not about uh, the person and it's, sometimes it's tough. And, you know, did you see I won the sales contest? Right. Well, I did see it, but I don't need to be reminded. But those times, I mean, so you, what you're trying to do with servant leadership is get the ego out of the person that's directing whatever, he's, whatever division he is. We all work together as a team. I'm a big believer in team management, team authority as, at a group. And, and you bring different team players in. And I want to talk to the people that were in the production department. Bring in six production department people. I want to talk to them about how does that team work. As an example, just by one of those meetings, one of the guys said, if you change the dock routine and let the trucks back in with empty cans, and we, we could design a robot, and all the cans, instead of taking them over to another warehouse, just put them on the line right then, and it'll increase productivity. So we were listening to people, and we did that, and the productivity 
absolutely out of sight. And so I'm just trying to say the servant leadership part of it is trying to lead sort of like Jesus would. Get me out of the middle. I'm going to tell you what, what maybe some of the rules and regulations are. And you know, there's some great verses in the Bible about, you know, you, know, you serve the Lord and not man when you're in the business. And I can do all of that at my own. And I can use terminology in the secular, which I did. What exactly are you doing at Biola? I don't think I clearly said it. Well, Biola, I, I uh, was blessed. Even when I, I was only employed at Monster, but I helped uh, orchestrate the MBA program there. And by doing that, I made a comment that when I did some little bit of postgraduate stuff, what great thing for me was a mentor. Yeah. that I could call him and say, here's what... You started a mentor program. So I was the founder yeah. of the MBA mentor program there, and there's... And this gets to an area I want to talk about. In in your later years, you're handing the baton, and mentorship is how you're doing it. And, and I handed the baton about three years ago, and two great people are running this program. I mean, it's... And one of them is really, really taking it over. The other one... He has a couple of doctor's degrees and few. He has started a whole new slice of the pie at Biola. And it's called Innovation Entrepreneur Lab. Mm. And we have a board of about 20. I'm sitting on that board of how to take the nine schools at Biola, not just the school of business, the nine schools, and encourage them into innovation and how to be an entrepreneur. So if you're in the nursing school and you have an idea, Come and take this class. It's going to be 12 units over a period of time. And we have speakers coming in from Silicon Valley and all over the country mm. to help these classes and help encourage. So this is just kicking off January 1st of uh, 2020. And it looks like an exciting program because people have this bottled up in them. Yeah. That's, I, it's everything that you said. You know, yeah. the, the servant leadership, innovation, listening, and not only teaching but listening and now letting them bring these ideas to the front because they're the direct customers about to go out and lead and do incredible things it's great so we can ask those students what do you think the response will be and we we are very smart students to say i think people love this thing but i i don't see how we can be price competitive mm. and so uh, we had uh, one gal that's on our board uh, she had a little problem with the swimsuits for teenagers. They didn't have much cloth in them. Mm -hmm. And so she had girls that were coming into that arena. So she sat down and designed a more modest bathing suit that teenagers would wear. And her company, she's on this board, it's called Ray Swimwear, and it's just shot out of the camp because now these girls are so this is where innovation and thought process comes. Okay. Sometimes it's the person's need. Right. Sometimes it's not. And, and a lot of listening. And, and, and a lot of listening. So servant leadership through all the Bible and through it, Jesus really was hard on. We use that. Uh, we use it that people are the greatest asset. And, and we need to let people, you know, interface in a decision process yeah I think God would say that as well it was all about people and we're children of God and we need to be listening to what God has called us to do in this world 
So as we conclude this, couple things. Uh, you have cancer right now and yet you're still pressing on, but what else is there that you want to make sure that we know before we end this time together? Well, one of my experiences was uh, being a naval officer in the Vietnam era and, and patrolling in the Gulf of Tonkin, which was not a, a, you know, a real pleasant place, but we got through it okay. But it was so interesting on the ship watching the leadership and management of the, of the, of the people on the ship. How old See, were you at this time? Yeah, I was probably mid-20s. Is this where some of your leadership came from? Came from. Yeah. And why it came from is because everybody had to work as a team. That's why I'm a team guy. Everybody had to know their position, and nobody could fail to do their position or things happen. We had a missile cruiser. We fire a missile. Can't be a mistake. Right. And, and, and so given all that, I watched the Admiral on our ship and the captain very close to see how they they really uh, uh, managed and led and gave the people the ability to make a mistake mm. and that's one of my keys I always gave them ability uh, uh, to make a mistake that's a biggie well why it's a biggie how do you learn yeah if you're always going to be right on something you're not going to learn that oh that doesn't work yeah. And, and in fact, one employee said one time to me, says, oh man, I guess I'm going to be fired for this. And it, it was a small deal. And a small deal to us was a couple of million dollars at that time. And I sat him down and I said, did you learn anything? By this? Oh, he said, yes. He said, so anyway, you want me to resign? You're going to fire? I said, listen, I just invested $2 million exactly. into this training session. No, <laughs> just as long as you understand and won't make that again. And so there are ways that you deal with people and you know they're good at heart, but I don't mind them taking, taking chances. Yeah. And uh, that's the part of serving leadership. You want to serve them. Nobody wanted, I didn't want anybody serving me. Only was serving the mission statement of our company. And so anyway, I think I've sort of covered that, but the Navy was a real critical start for me on really about how you keep people in line and everybody has to do what they're responsible for. Yeah. If you're in marketing, what are you doing over in the accounting department? You're a marketing person. We need the best of you right here. And, and so we, uh, so it's sort of a, you know, a long trail. You know, I'm business world, uh, oh, gosh, over 50 years. 50 years. Oh, you didn't, you didn't, you were worried about my age? Well, <laughs> I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching 81. Right 81 now. and uh, still uh, so much wisdom, so much knowledge. And so much that we can take and learn from. And you haven't stopped. You're still working at Biola. You're yeah. still working through even uh, the dealing with cancer. Mainly now, though, probably the grandkids enjoying that part of life as well. How many do you have? I have six and I'll have three in college. I have one in college and two more coming into college. And, Man. and that means they're smarter than I am. At least they let you know that. So, no, we, we love our, we, we, that's yeah. our time now is the grandkids. Anytime they, we have three, three in Bakersfield, three in Costa Mesa, and we're, we're, that, that really takes up our time, but it's a joy. I really appreciate this, and I believe those that watch this will also appreciate the leadership that you have given in all of these areas. I want to thank you for being here and watching this. This is Team Performance Coaching. If you'd like to go further, go to teamperformancecoaching.info for more information. We'd love to partner with you in your business to make great leaders. Have a great day.